On this episode of the Redacted Podcast, our guest is a former stripper or gentleman's club worker, exotic dancer, whatever you'd call it. And it was supposed to be kind of a lighthearted story, funny stories, deep dives into that world and kind of a look into it. And it is, and there's some funny parts and lighthearted parts to it. But what I didn't understand before the interview is, you know, kind of when I asked, how did you get started in this? Um, There's a dark element to that. And it does involve some domestic violence, physical abuse. So trigger warning on that, if, you know, that's something that bothers you. And then there's a obvious trigger warning to, you know, sexual content, sexual themes, things of that nature. So if any of that bothers you or offends you or you don't like listening to it, maybe this isn't the episode for you. Otherwise, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, thank you for joining us on the Redacted Podcast today. We have a guest here. She's been so gracious to come in. Um, she's going to be anonymous, so we're not going to say who she is. We got Pamela back there working the soundboard and the video gadgetry. She's been sworn to secrecy. Um, but thank you for coming in and joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, your thing was when you when we first started contacting or talking with each other, that's really interesting is that you were in a bunch of, um, or a few of the high end strip clubs in Atlanta and you'd work there. I wouldn't necessarily say high end, but it wasn't (laughs) low end. It was medium. Yeah. Like I was on a good medium ground. I was referred to as a baby stripper. It, uh, It's when you're new and you're still learning the ropes and whatever. So it was a good place to start with that. So like the little dollar signs on Yelp, when they say, oh, you were like a $2 sign, $3 sign. Two or three. Not the one, not the five. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, you have some stories and some really interesting things that you've seen and experienced and the perspective that you have of it. Um and you wanted to come share those. And I, I think it's, I think it's super, it's an interesting subject because it's like going to a strip club gentleman's club is something a lot of people have probably done at a bachelorette party or bachelor party or, or just a Tuesday yeah. or, or just a Tuesday. <laughs> and, but nobody really knows like what really happens or what it's really like, or like, because when you're there, you're putting on a, a show. It's an acting for the, job. Yeah, it's an acting job. So just kind of cool to get the real perspective. So what kind of, um, how did you get there? Like, how did you start doing it? What made you decide that that was something you wanted to try? So 
After I turned 18, I worked a serving job. And there had been a girl that I'd been working with there for a couple of months. And she had come in one day and was like, I worked a shift last night at the strip club. Sorry, this is throwing me off. She was like, I worked a shift last night at the strip club. I made so much effing money. Like, I don't even want to be here anymore. Like, as in work. Oh, jeez. She walked out in the middle of the shift and we never saw her again. Oh, shit. And prior to that, she was like this really homey person. Yeah. If that's the right word. Like, she had done a lot of really cool stuff. I think she was like 20 at the time. She like... Ooh, I don't know if this is too specific to who she was, but she uh, just don't say names. Lived out in like Yellowstone as a park ranger, and and just done a really a lot of really cool stuff, and was just cute as a button. And she had she was she was a really sweet girl, and yeah, she walked out, and in uh, the sense of working in that restaurant, we never saw her again. Um, Never heard from her again. It's like watching Andy Dufresne get out of Shawshank or something. Not familiar. Oh, okay. Um, like he busted out, like they busted out. Yeah. You're like, oh shit, what's that all? Is that, was that kind of. No, she was just did there and she was like, I feel like I'm losing money by being here. Huh. So that stripper mentality immediately set in with her. Okay. That was a, that's a huge mentality that, that, uh, sex workers kind of develop. They're like, anything that is, Less money than I could be making is not worth my time. It's losing money. Yeah, yeah. it's losing money. She's like, I could be in Atlanta right now making five times this amount at least. So she just left and never came back. What city were you in at that point? Uh, We were. I mean, um, just roughly. Yeah, we were um, outside of Atlanta. We were about 45 minutes outside of Atlanta. So it was like in a um, suburban area. It's in the metro area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. so that was kind of like your first inkling into like, I actually know someone, I, I met someone, I know this person and they're, yeah. they well, said it's I was great like money. almost starstruck by the idea. I was like, I've never even thought about like that before, really. I was like, that's actually really cool. She's like, I, because I think she said she made like 500 bucks and was off by eight o'clock oh, at, in the afternoon. She's like, I worked the day shift, oh, made 800 bucks last night, my first day. And I was huh. like, that is sick. That's the day shift. Yeah, Jeez. day shift. Yeah, so day shift went from like eight or uh, eleven to eight o'clock, but you or it was just kind of like whenever you want to come in, but be there yeah. by two. Okay. Um. So when I would work it, because uh, I mostly was day shift, um, it was two to eight o'clock. I've never even thought about day shift. Not at everyone a, has it. A, and I mean, we can we can get to that part. That's kind of funny though. I've never. Yeah. Like, Who's at the like, strip club like, in the go middle get a of lunch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and people would come in for lunch. We had a full kitchen and full bar, and um, on Fridays, we'd set oh, up geez. a buffet. Oh, gee, a buffet at a... That seems weird, too. Oh, that was the best stir fry I'd ever had in my life, I think. Was so it was actually pretty decent. Buffet. It was pretty decent. Yeah. No, okay. they had good food, and people would come in and get a steak or, you know, a sandwich or something and get a lap dance and go back to work or whatever. How does your... How do you keep going with your day after that one? That's a that's a funny thought. I I've just never because everything and everyone I've ever known I I guess I've never 
done it myself or even known someone that just went in for like a lunchtime strip club like well most people at the strip club is like a whole event it's like me and my buddies bachelor party yeah it's like a nighttime bucks and it's a nighttime thing yeah we're gonna get hammered and go to the strip club like there's it's actually a vast majority of the people who come into strip clubs are regulars that we would see at the minimum once a week jeez and sometimes they'd come in and spend a hundred bucks. It was always at least a hundred. And sometimes they'd come in and spend well into the thousands. Oh, jeez. Just drinks, food, private rooms, dances, stage tips, you know. It kind of sounds like like a casino in a way, a little bit. It just makes me think of it because it's like a lot of people when they go to the casino, it's just a like this is an event we're going for a birthday party or a night out or something like that. But then like, if you're like a regular, you're almost like just grinding it out. Just like, yeah, it's like going to the casino, but you don't make your money back. (laughs) No, no. Well, neither one. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. You end up a little broker or broke. Yeah. Better words. Um, so you hear about this. What do you, do you walk out? Go, no, go so, run and apply. What um, what kind of happens next? At the high school age that I was at, you know, from the beginning, well, it started before high school, but the entirety of my high school years, I'd uh, struggled a lot with my mental health okay, and uh, my self-respect and, you know, even just a firm grasp on what a normal reality is. Okay. And my perception of reality and perception of relationships was really warped. And at this point in time, I'd had a boyfriend, quote unquote boyfriend, who was not a good person. What age is this? Um, 18. I started seeing him when I was 17 okay. and he was 19 and 20 at the time. Okay. Um, so I was seeing this guy and he was not good to me at all. He was sleeping with multiple, multiple other women behind my back. He was very verbally abusive. He was very manipulative and eventually turned very sexually and physically abusive. Um, And so after I had graduated high school, about two weeks after I graduated, um, I had broken up with him because... I logged into his Snapchat and the first thing that I saw was him, a video of him from like the day before sleeping with my friend. And I was like, what What the fuck? That's dramatic. And reached out, broke up with him. And this man was just out of his mind. He was extremely just a bad guy. He'd had multiple charges of domestic violence against women that he was in relationships with. And of course I meet him. I'm like, they're lying. I can change him. (laughs) I I can fix him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I thought that I was so special and so different and these women were lying and I was completely manipulated by this person. And so I'd broken up with him and he had sent his friend after me pretty much. He reached out to his friend and was like, Hey, um, Try to get her to come over, try to sleep with her, see if she does it. I want to see if she's a hoe. Again, just a really weird, warped way of of That's thinking. fucked up. Yeah, that's 
and I'm 18 and I have no idea what normal people look like and normal relationships. Yeah. And, you know, at, in this age group, a lot of things are just drama, 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 including your romantic relationships and friendships and your family life and yeah. things like this. So um, behavior like this to this extreme was not that big of a red flag to me when it definitely should have been. So your gauges are way off. Yeah. Way off. Um, so his friend reaches out. I know exactly what he's doing. His friend actually, I think told me, he's like, this guy's trying to be weird. And I was like, okay, I'll play this game. I'll come over. So I'm 18. I could just walk out of the house at that point. I turned 18. My mom was like, Hey, don't be an idiot, but like you're free, you know, pretty much. And, uh, I left to, to that guy's house around 11 o'clock at night, go there and he just starts telling me about, oh, he's on Tinder and sleeping with all these women, hitting it raw, like disgusting. Like you need to go get checked. And I was like mortified, especially because at one point in our relationship, he was in jail for six months and I was the only person talking to him while he was in jail because I didn't want him to be alone. Jeez. Yeah, it was it was Some really things. twisted. And uh he was in jail six months. Like his mom wouldn't even talk to him. His mom wouldn't even put money on his books, probably because he was a giant piece of shit. And she knew that um, he deserved to be in there. It was for a domestic violence charge against a different girl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Again, I can change him. I'm different. You yeah. know, she hit him first, like whatever I was telling <laughs> myself at that point. Yeah. And uh, the guy takes my phone. His friend takes my phone while I'm there takes a picture of his own car because it's a distinct car and sends it to the ex ex-boyfriend and proceeded to i mean i might have been sexually assaulted a little bit because i was like i'm just gonna fuck with the ex like like mess with his head and his his friend was not cool but so at that time my ex-boyfriend lived about an hour away from this house, maybe more. And I'm in this guy's bedroom. And about 40 minutes after that picture is sent, the door to his bedroom just opens and it's him. He made it like an hour and a half drive in 40 minutes once he received that picture. Jeez. And he was fucking livid. And he looks at me and like laughs, grabs my phone and slams it on the ground. Wow. And it like was slammed on the ground so hard it bent backwards. Like it was at a perfect, like, what is that? 45 degree angle, pretty much. And I found out after the fact that while he was driving there, he hacked into my Facebook account, took screenshots of illicit text messages that I was sending to someone. Facebook messaged them to my mother. Oh, shit. At two o'clock in the morning. My mom doesn't even, didn't even know I was out of the house. And she's a light sleeper. She wakes up and is getting these weird fucking messages from my account. Can't find me. I'm not answering the phone because it's bent in half. My location's off. Like, she has no idea where I am. She's freaked out. Jeez. She is horrified right now. And I think he, like, sent her, like, my nudes, too, or something. Which is. That's fucked up. Absolutely psychotic behavior. Yeah. 
to, and, to put it lightly. Yeah. So he basically keeps me trapped with him for the next couple of hours up until the sun comes up. And I think it's kind of important to met- mention here that there's no drugs or alcohol involved in any of this part of my life. For you. For me, yeah. at least. I don't know about him. Yeah. But um, yeah, this was all, all sober and it's like being trapped late all night. My mom can't get a hold of me. She doesn't know where I am. She's like about to call the police thinking I've been like fucking kidnapped or something. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he takes me to the store. He's like crying and apologetic. He buys me a new phone. I get on it. I first thing I do is text my mom. I'm like, Hey, I'm alive. I didn't know then that she, he had sent her anything from my Facebook also. So she calls me and she's like, where are you? And I was like, I'm getting taken home right now. I'm getting taken home. So I, or I drive myself home or I was getting taken back to my car. My bad. I drive myself home and both my parents are just mortified by what just happened. They don't know where I've been. They don't know what happened to my phone. They don't know who I was with, who sent them the messages, nothing. And I spent a lot of my adolescence lying to my parents. Um, and I had decided in that moment because I was, I was done. I was very scared when he walked in that room and slammed my phone. And I was like, I'm done with this. I can't, I can't keep messing with this person. This is just terrifying, a terrifying display of behavior from this man. Yeah. I was truthfully fearful for my life. I feel like at certain points throughout that night. It's like a turning point. Yeah. So at that point I was like, we're done. I'm not doing this on again, off again with this abuser anymore. And while in that six month period that he was in jail, I had gone to his court dates and this was not his first run in with domestic violence charges. This was not, this was like his fourth or fifth time. I think. Yeah. He had a, he had a a pretty lengthy criminal record, um, mostly being violent. And I had watched a judge tell him like, we're really tired of seeing you. Yeah, this is a bad dude. Yeah, they're Just like a bad dude. We're tired of seeing you. You're not going to prison this time. If I see you in my courtroom again, you are doing at least seven years. Hmm. Turn around two months later and he's doing it again to someone else. Like he's no self-control. He's just not a good dude at all. So is this kind of turning point? Is that part of what started the path? Yes. So that you ended up. Yeah. So my parents told them about the phone, told them who did it, told them what happened. And they said, well, we're going to the police and you're going to talk. And I said, I don't want him to go to prison. I don't want to be with him. I don't want to be around him anymore, but I don't want to see somebody go to prison. I don't want that to be at my hand, even though it was not at my hand. And I know that now Yeah, it was his own actions. Um, so they, I wouldn't tell them where we were, so they couldn't figure out what precinct they drove me to like four different police stations. Police start talking to me. They'd be like, who did this? And I said, I don't know. Where were you? Don't know. I was not talking. Wow. No strict, no snitching policy. Wow. (laughs) Even though that's, I know now that that's not snitching. It's putting someone away for something they deserve. Exactly. After a certain point, they said, uh, well, you can either start cooperating 
and talking and fixing this, or you can get out of our house. So I said, okay, give me back the phone he bought me, called him and said, my parents are kicking me out. You need to come get me. I threw what I could into like a laundry hamper. I think like a tall laundry hamper. And he came and picked me up. And that's the last time I lived with my parents. Jeez. It was kind of like a, like you called their bluff or something. Cause no, I knew they meant it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's like one of those things you, you just, I just want you to do the thing. Like, I'm, I, I know this is the best thing for you to do. I just want you to do the thing. And then you're like, yeah, fine. Fuck it. I'm yeah. Out. I just didn't want him to go to prison. Again, I didn't even want anything to do with him anymore. Yeah. But I didn't want him to face those kinds of consequences and go to prison and be alone, even though today I so badly wish that I had because I would have saved myself a lot more trauma yeah. and a lot more pain. So what happened after that? So you leave, you're on your own now. Yeah, so we move into an apartment 25 minutes outside of Atlanta together. Okay. The rent was six seventy nine a month. Um, and it was like off of a college campus. So these apartments were designed to be um, student housing. So it was a four bed, four bath. You just pay for your room. Okay. Um, and we lived in there together. And I got a serving job down the street and was working that for a little bit. And uh, he was becoming increasingly more and more abusive. Like He started beating my ass at that point. And he and hadn't really done that before? He had slapped me before, like so hard I like flew backwards onto my bed. And that was, that was it. That, that was it? <laughs> Up until this point, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Again, just warped perception of, of how people it's should It's like be. a gauge thing right there. So yeah. Like, oh, no, he didn't really beat me. He just slapped me so hard that I flew back onto my bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. No biggie. Yeah. That's a big hit. Yeah. That was, uh, Jeez. again, the smashing the phone story was my last straw and I really wanted it to be over after that point, but, but it wasn't. got forced basically into yeah. being with him. Cause otherwise I'd have nowhere else to go protecting him. Um, so during this time he became increasingly more and more abusive. It was getting pretty bad. There'd been one point that I had, um, walked out of my bedroom and was begging my roommate to call the police. And I had just blood all over myself and it was mine. And it was just, it was pretty rough. And so this serving job that I was at, I was not making enough money there to kick him out. The apartment was in my name. And I was like, I got to start making some money. Reach out to the girl that I worked with at that restaurant. Tie back into the beginning there. Okay. Asked her how to do it. She said, I work at, this club in Brookhaven, come in, audition. I'll tell my house mom about you. You're gorgeous. You're gorgeous. You've got a nice body. You'll totally get right in. You do have to get a license. It's 250 bucks. But huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in Atlanta, you have to, city of Atlanta, they require oh. you to have a, a permit. Um, what do you do for the permit or just pay money? You just go to the police station. They run a background check, make sure you don't have oh, any like prostitution okay. charges or gotcha. something like that. And then pay them $250 and they say, okay, go get naked. 
have fun, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, so you go to the interview or audition. Interview. <laughs> okay. It's an interview. No, no, it's not an interview. No. Um, so what, what happens? So how, how does that go? I had snuck to the audition in his car. He doesn't know about any of this. No. Okay. Well, I was trying to get rid of him. I wasn't going to tell him, you yeah, know, I'm yeah, about to start yeah. making enough money to get rid of you, you know? Yeah. Plus he would have just lost it. He was going to lose his shit just about me being a stripper anyway. Yeah. Other people seeing me naked. And so I go to the audition and they say, okay, well, they to had told me previously wear heels, wear a two piece outfit, bring a little cover up to like cover your butt. Um, for when you're walking through the club and you, you're going to get on stage and do three songs. And this is while the club is running. Like there's people in here. They say if I someone hands you. It would have been like before hours or after or something. Nope. It was, just, it was like probably. Just going live. Yep. Wow. Um, and they told me before I got on stage, they're like, you probably already have the job. We just got to make sure, you know, when you get naked, you don't have any. Disturbing scars, tattoos, a penis, you know, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. So, uh, yeah, they say you do three songs. First song, you're going to be in your outfit. Second song, you take your top off. Third song, you take your bottoms off. This is a full nude club. Okay. No touching, full nude. Um, and I do that. They give me the job. They say, okay, here's a form. Take this form. Go get your license. And then we'll see you when we see you. How? I mean... You'd never done anything like that before. No. And to have to, for the first time, like just strip for I don't know, 20 people in there. About that. How'd that feel? I mean, did the adrenaline just push you through it or did you kind of dissociate, detach, or did you just like, fuck it, let's do it. It was really interesting because I remember walking out on the floor being very nervous, getting on stage. I've never even touched a stripper pole before. Yeah. Being very nervous. Music starts. I do the first song. Second song starts. Time to take the top off. And I look at the other girl on the stage next to me and I'm like, she's killing it. And I was like, fuck it. I'm a star. <laughs> and that's just kind of the mentality that you have when you're dancing on stage in general is you're like, they came here to see me. This, I'm, I'm the star of the show here like oh, wow. i'm the baddest bitch in this room so i'd have thought you'd been a lot more nervous but it just you just clicked, it clicked into for it. me yeah okay it, it was almost too easy because <laughs> i was it's a way to put five it, foot yeah. seven and 120 pounds soaking wet and i had a great body and a cute face knew how to do my makeup so that it was appealing for an environment like this had hair down to my ass. Like I was like what you want to see when you walk into a strip club pretty much for but you didn't even know what to expect. You'd never no. even been in one. No, you didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I did notice that this club was, um, what's the word I'm looking for it. Uh, where it's like inclusive. What's, the word I'm trying to use. Inclusive, diverse. It was a diverse club. Okay. Yes. Um, there were women of all races, ages 18 through probably about 43, different body types, different hair types, different, you know, like yeah. stretch marks, no stretch marks, kind of chubby, really skinny, 
C-section scar, you know, like, but they were all beautiful women. So I was like, okay, I'm young, I'm skinny, I'm cute. I'm, you know, like this is, I look good in here, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just took over and I did well in the audition and uh, they were like, you got the job. You got the job. You start tomorrow. Um, working in a strip club, there's no schedule for the most part, most places. It's really? kind of come when you want. You have to be here at least once a month for you to still be considered a contractor under us because it is a, it's a 1099 okay. Okay. Um, job, independent contractor. And uh, you have to be there at least once a month to be still on their list. But it's come whenever you want, whatever time, whatever day. We may not see you for, we might see you just once a month, you know. But uh, I. Uh, that, they, that seems actually kind of nice. Oh, like it's flexible. fantastic. Yeah. Like I, if I, I want to make a lot of money, I can I can work a lot. If I don't, or if I have something to do, and somehow it balances out that they get enough staffing, or I mean, did they ever get too much staffing? Yeah, they had a cutoff of of oh, we have too many girls, or they stopped taking auditions because they have too many girls just and not on their payroll, but yeah, basically on their payroll, they would they would have a cutoff eventually. And, oh, you came at two o'clock. We already have 15 girls on the floor. Like, go home. We don't want you here. Okay. Early bird catches the worm. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, so how does the, um, so you're a contractor. So how does, how does pay work? Cash in hand. Cash in hand. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you go to a strip club, you tip in cash. So yeah. they, uh, Tip on stage, you can do private rooms for cash. If they pay on card, the club will give you the money that they had spent on the card at the end of the night. Um, table dances, $10 for a song. Um, and you just kind of, you take that money home at the end of the night. Are they taking a piece of that? Uh, they do take a percentage of it. It depends on how much you make. Like if you made like less than 150 bucks, they'd ask, they'd be like, just give us 10 bucks and you're good. Tip out the DJ. Okay. Um, tip your house mom, tip your floorman he looks out for you, you know, like, so is everyone kind of working on tips then? Just about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's like, I would love to be a house mom. Like they, I mean, if you have a Friday night, if the more money your girls make, the more money you make. Yeah. So if your girls have a good night on a Friday night or something, you're walking out of there easily with a thousand dollars. And all you did was sit at a desk and tell her, her outfit looked good. And you know, oh, you need eyelashes. Here's some eyelashes. Here's some socks, you know. And so that was my next question. It's like, what? That's kind of what I imagined a house mom doing, like when you put yeah. a title like that. But it's just like making sure that you guys are all set. And that, I mean, do they make schedules or do they give advice or are they like, keeping people in line or like drama? Yeah. Yeah, they'll diffuse issues. They'll um, keep people in line. They kind of manage like the locker room, the dressing room okay. um, a little bit. Um, if they want to make some more money, they'll like get online, buy cheap socks, eyelashes, makeup, perfumes, whatever, and sell them or outfits, just straight up buying garters and, oh, and wow. things like that, things that you need. Um, and they'll sell that, you know, like they'll market up a little, little, a little shop. shop. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some will bring in just complimentary stuff. Oh, thanks for all the perfume and lotion and whatever, mom. Here's 25 bucks. You're awesome. Like, yeah. you know, it was a tip based job. And um, I think it's really cool. Is that so? Is that someone who's like, I don't, maybe I'm ignorant here, but is that someone who's like 
been a dancer before. Typically. And is now aged out or doesn't want to do it anymore. Typically, yes. My house mom at that club, she used to dance at that club in the 90s. Okay. She'd worked there for a really long time. So I picture like a 50-year-old lady. It's like... No, it... it no? Really just depends on uh, how valuable how valuable you are to the club, yeah. how much they like you, um, the owners like you, whatever, and you say, I'm, I'm done dancing, and they, are, do you want a new house model? I can do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and they do the cash out at the end of the night, you know, um, they collect your money when you're with your tip outs and all of that. Okay. Um, but typically, yeah, it's ex-dancers who are tired of dancing, who got pregnant and still want to work there and, you know, or just got a little too old for it, you know? Yeah. So everyone's kind of DJs working on tips, a chunk of the tips, floor men, you know, the guys at the door, bartenders. And then how is the club? What's, what's the club's big income? What are the, I mean, they're taking a little bit of your, maybe your private dances or is it a percentage? How does that work? Well, the club will run off of food sales if they sell food. Oh, okay. Beverage sales if they have a full bar. Did this one have a full bar? Full bar, time? restaurant, not restaurant, but kitchen. Um, and they run off of the girls' money as well. Okay. The tip out, you know, oh, if I make 150 bucks, 10 to the club, 10 to house mom, 10 to foreman, 5 to the DJ, like... You know, so you really are walking out with like 85 bucks, you know, but the more you make, the more they make. So I'd had days where I'd made like $2,300, I think. Oh, wow. On a private room. And uh, I think I ended up having to give them about four or 500 of it. Okay. But it's easy money, you know, four or 500 bucks ain't shit compared to 2,300, you know? Yeah. And I mean, hopefully they're, they're looking out for you. They're taking care of you. At this club, Yes. Yes, this was a fantastic experience. I'm, so you I'm, guys are all working together. And yeah. It's, like, it's kind of like us against them. I mean, restaurants are kind of similar. Like you get the customers, they're coming in, and then everyone's kind of that works there. It's like it's like a battle. Like, yeah. Like to try to get, you know, fight through the busyness and take care of everyone. And uh, Yeah. Uh, it was important to them that they maintained a good reputation. They'd been around for some time. Okay. And uh, had a great reputation. And uh, it was important that people kept wanting to go there. There's a lot of uh, strip clubs that are pretty grimy, pretty just not awesome yeah. establishments. And they're like, no, we want to keep this elevated. You okay. know, they wanted to keep it um, professional. So everybody looked out for each other. Everybody took care of each other. They were pretty strict on their no touching rule um, because touching in a strip club can easily cross a line or can be considered prostitution in the city of Atlanta. So um, nobody touches anybody. Nope. It's all just. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, th- no touching. Like it, it was to your own discretion, the amount, but like no grabbing ass, no boobs, no, no, none of that. But if a guy wanted to like grab my legs while I was dancing, that's fine. Or my arms or my shoulders or maybe my waist or something like that. That was, that was yeah. okay with me, but none of the no, no squares. The, the no-no squares. The no-no squares okay. were, were on limits. Uh, those were strictly off limits. You get caught, you might get one warning, get caught again, you're not allowed to work there anymore. Well, and I think that's that's got to be essential for a place like that is to have those hard limits. Right. And to be strict about it because that could 
get out of hand really quick, I can imagine. Right. Well, the city of Atlanta is actively trying and, and, and the surrounding smaller cities um, are actively trying to shut down the strip clubs just because of the crowd that they bring in. Atlanta is um, really changed a lot pretty much since the Olympics. What was that? 96? 96. Yeah. Um, that built that city pretty much. Well, to I what feel it like is. the I'm, I've just heard a lot about the strip club scene in Atlanta. It's not what it used to be. Like. I don't know, maybe in a infamous way or a notorious way or a like it's really vibrant. It's big. Yeah. I, I don't know. There I just was feel a, like I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. It, it's not what it used to be um, because the city's trying to shut them down. They're making the rules stricter. Neighborhoods petitioning to get them shut down, things like that. And uh, I remember there was one club I was working at in the end of my career um, called Oasis. They're shut down now. Um because I couldn't follow the rules and they wanted them gone. Um, and I remember the bartender had told me like, oh yeah, in like 2007 or something, it was a rapper. It might've been like TI or, or something like that. Set up a car wash in the parking lot and huh. like strippers watching cars and stuff in the parking lot of the strip club. <laughs> it's not like that anymore. No. Um, I'm like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> But things like that, just, it's not like that. So um, you start working there and like, I mean, the money's good right away. Yeah. To kind of go back. Yeah. You know, got hired and you start kind of regularly working there. Are you able to now get out on your own? Well, so the ex-boyfriend knew that I auditioned the day I did. I walked out of the audition he knew I was there the fuck and I walk out of the front door and go to the car and he walks like from around another car and I'm just like looking at him hmm. and it scared the shit out of me. He's like, you're done. We have GPS on you or something. Yeah. Oh, or like he knew that I was thinking about it and figured out where I went or something like that. So I'm going to leave and I just, I'm like super pumped, got the job can finally start moving in the right direction, go to unlock the car, and there he is. And I'm like, oh, Jeez. shit. There were repercussions for that day, for sure. Oh, wow. From him. Um, he tried to leave me in a Bank of America parking lot with no phone <laughs> in the middle of Atlanta. And I had a bunch of boxes in my car that I had gotten from my parent parents like a week or two before. He took all my boxes out of the car, threw them in a parking spot, tried to leave me there. 30 minutes from home with no phone. I'm a little white girl in Atlanta. Like you can't just leave me out here. It's the sex trafficking capital of the world or the country or whatever it is. Like you can't. It's a lot of sex trafficking. There. Yeah. Oh, I've almost been picked up multiple times. Just not even in scenarios like what I was doing for work. Like just like at the gas station. Really? <laughs> yeah. It, it's a weird city. It's really dangerous out there. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like a. Uh... Like you're getting snatched in broad daylight at a gas station. You felt like, like, how does that, how did you feel in danger? Um, there's pretty much like warnings all over the news and on, and on the internet. Hey, watch out for these tactics. Okay. Watch out for these things. If something seems suspicious, it is. Be careful. Watch out for yourself. Protect yourself. Always have your location on. Have a gun if you can have one, you know, conceal carry like legally. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, when I'd almost gotten picked up, I was in Woodstock, Georgia at like 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. And I, I had picked up this attitude living out there. Like I was just an asshole to everyone because pretty much anyone who's approaching you in public does not have good intentions. Yeah. Um, and defensive. Yeah. Some, some lady who I knew she wouldn't have seen the, the driver's seat of my car um, or anything that would have fallen out of it. She tried to be like, hey, you dropped something getting out of your car when you went into the gas station. And I just looked at her and I said, no, I didn't. And then got in my car. I didn't even look because that's one of their weird things. And I pull up to a stop sign um, trying to leave the gas station. I watch her get out of the van, walk across the parking lot and start talking to a man. Huh. And I was like that you got to be smart. You got to be an asshole a little bit. Well, I mean, what did this woman look like? Was What was her age? She like, was a she middle-aged foreign? black woman. Okay. Um, she had another black woman in the car with her. Okay. Um, and I got her, when she got out of the car, she walked across the street, uh, across the parking lot to a, a bald white man that was standing on the other end of the parking lot. And there was a couple of other times like this. Um, I have known people to go missing, like like friends of friends and sister of a friend of a friend and things like that. I knew a girl in high school who met a guy on Tinder and went missing for two weeks, and he was pimping her out of a hotel room Jeez. in Atlanta. And uh, the police, when why, they found why her— Why Atlanta? Why so specifically Atlanta? I mean, I know that was the big area where you were growing up, but, like, I mean, why is it so prevalent there, do you think? Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport is the largest airport in the country, in the world. Yeah. Highest traffic airport. Um, you can make someone go missing really fast. Yeah. I guess that makes a lot of sense. And Atlanta is easy access to to all these major highways, like 75, 85, um, 20, takes you out west. And yeah, just, yeah, north, south, east, west. Like, it, you can get anywhere pretty fast. I think you could get to Chattanooga within two hours. Mm-hmm. You know? Depends you can get on to traffic yeah. on that traffic. I've driven that before. Jeez. Oh my god, I'm, that is the worst. I don't want a single person in this state to complain to me about the traffic ever. That's what I fucking you know, <laughs> going from from Nashville because when we drive from Illinois down to Florida, and we've done that a bunch of times, going from fucking Nashville to goddamn Macon, that whole stretch is just it, it's like being on a different planet. Yeah. It's an it's a totally different planet. Like the rules don't apply anymore. There's no laws out there. Get me started on this. Well, and then it's like everywhere else I drive, people drive like, okay, I'm gonna go eighty-five or I'm gonna go seventy-five. I think they just drive on emotion between Nashville and Macon. It's just like, I'm gonna go sixty right now, but then it's in three minutes, I'm going to go 85. Yeah. And then I'm going to slow back down to 70. Doesn't even make sense. Yeah. When you're traveling Switching on Switching lanes. I mean, that's not even the dangerous shit. That's just keeping pace. Yeah. No, when you're driving like 485 south of Atlanta. Oh, yeah. You got to watch out for cops. 285, watch out for cops. 75 is a free-for-all. 85 north, free-for-all. Like, I've watched people. It's it's so horrible. Yeah. That, that traffic there, the roads are so horrible. I got detoured like two hours out into like the, we were in the farm. We were in like the country, like going around Atlanta. I think that was last time we went back up to Illinois. It was 
It's like PTSD, man. Like you just, you just fucking, we just went off on a tangent with that. You like triggered some PTSD in me about Atlanta traffic. No, I don't want to hear a single person complain about it ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that there. And then, um, I guess, um, so the boyfriend finds out. Yeah. So how do you do do you go back to work there? Do you leave his ass? Like Um, he wasn't making a lot of money at the time and was under the impression that I was supporting him, which I did for about two months. Mm-hmm. A little bit. He was still going to work, but I was paying the bulk of things and you yeah. know, my he loosened up on the the idea of me dancing and the first thing we did was go to the smoke shop and buy a two hundred dollar hookah. We don't even smoke hookah. Like it was like a once a month kind of thing because it was wherever we were. Like so, he's like okay. spending my money. Yeah. If you make money, you can dance, and then yeah, you're like I made money, and he's like, let's go buy a fucking hookah. Yeah. That's that's funny. Yeah. Like, so that's like a interesting he was, little. He he knew his security in the in the relationship with me was withering at that point though. Okay. Um, because he knew I had the financial means to live without him at that point. So is this a couple months in or something or a month in? Um, it was about three months in when I finally got away from him. Okay. Um, how was that? Well, so at this point in time, I hadn't spoken to my mother almost at all for about six months. Mm -hmm. Um, because every time I would talk to her, she would just kind of wring my neck a little bit on how I was living. She didn't know I was dancing yet. Okay. Um, she would just kind of wring my neck a little bit on it. And I would try to be like, oh, I'm doing well at my serving job, serving job. <laughs> and, you know, I have an apartment and stuff. And she's like, I can't believe you're living with that fucking bum. Like, and I was like, all right, good talk. <laughs> Yeah. Talk to you later. And it was just kind of that. So I just stopped talking to her pretty much. Like I talked to her once every two or three weeks for about six months and it was short conversations. We weren't, we weren't on good terms. My dad, I was still talking to because he was like, I just still want to have a relationship with you. I'm not going to let how I feel get in the way of you being in my life, you know, Uh, which I, I I can appreciate a lot. I understand where they were both coming from and it's tough. It's tough. But, uh, So I was very privately dancing and I decided, I was like, I want to start just posting whatever I feel like online. So I got on my Snapchat where I was going to be posting if I looked cute that day in the locker room and locker room, dressing room. And, um, you know, I, I blocked everyone that had anything to do with my family, everyone in my family, family, friends, things like that. And started posting what I wanted to. And uh, there had been one night that I, my boyfriend had come home and just fell right asleep. And I had made a friend out there. um, And she was like, we're going to go to a party tonight. Do you want to come? I was like, yeah, sure. So I tried to wake him up. You wouldn't wake up. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. And usually that wouldn't be much of a big deal. But at 1 a.m. and I was super drunk at that point, he calls me. And is like, you're out there being a hoe. 
Like, you're fucking done. I'm I'm throwing all your shit out, like, whatever. So my friends are like, this is the end, right? Like, you're done with this guy? I was like, yeah, I can finally do it. Okay. So uh, the next morning, I called the non-emergency police, like, number, and said, hey, I'm going to go to my apartment today and kick out a boyfriend. He's physically violent with me. I don't want... I just want you there for my protection. So he doesn't try to pull anything when I get there. And so he wakes up at 10 o'clock in the morning to me knocking on the bedroom door with two cops standing behind me. Oh, shit. And the cops are like, you need to vacate the premises. You need to get out. So he tore that bedroom apart. He like anything that he even slightly paid for, he like, ripped off the walls and took with him. And then before he left too, he goes, oh, and I'm taking my cat, which was my cat. I adopted her after we moved into this apartment. And I was like, that's my cat. And the cops were like, anything that he takes that is yours, settle it in court. I was like, but that's my cat. <laughs> and. Um, There's a lot of gray area with that stuff always. Yeah. And they're like, can you prove it? And I was like, I can. I have her paperwork in this drawer. Um, go to open the drawer. He heard this conversation and he snatched it really quick before I could prove it. And he, he like wanted the fucking cat. Yeah. He smuggled her out of there in like a jacket. She was a rescue. She did not like to be held. She didn't even like to be looked at. She was terrified of people. Did he even like cats or was no. he just trying to be he a He's just trying to be evil. And from what I'd heard after like, that. He doesn't sound like a an animal person. No, he didn't even want the cat. He just thought it'd make me happy and let me get a cat. But yeah. he uh, wrapped her up in a jacket. She's like screaming this poor thing. Yeah. who's already traumatized from wherever she lived before and takes her out of the apartment in front of what I heard through the grapevine after the fact, because I never saw her again. Uh, he threw her out the window of the car. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, he killed her. That's horrible. And the cops like let him pretty much. Um, that's fucking twisted yeah man. anytime I tried to press charges against him for the stalking that I endured and the cat thing and the things he stole like the cops were like there's nothing we can do man can't prove it so I mean I hope so was this fucking guy out of your life at this point yes Um. this was the end so he, the phone that I had was Thank also God. the phone that he bought me to replace the one he broke and I was like can I call my mom before you take the phone when he's like getting the last of his stuff out. The cops are still there. He's like, yeah, call your mom. And I call her and I'm in tears and I'm like, I'm doing it. He's leaving. He's done. He's gone. And she says, I know you're a stripper. Damn. She knew I was getting my ass beat for a couple months at this point was being abused. And the first thing that she said to me when I said, it's done, I know you're a stripper. How'd she find that out? I removed all those people on Snapchat, but forgot one. And it was a relative of mine's friend. Ooh. And she told my mom. Yeah. Social media, man. Damn. Yeah. So there. Was that horrifying to hear that? Uh, I mean, on top of everything else that's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it was funny because um, right before this had happened, I was working and was out on the floor. I was like the shift had just started and I'm in the club and I see somebody walk in and it is a family friend of ours that I had known. I grew up with his kids. I was still friends with his daughter. 
um, my parents were friends with him and his wife and also my grandparents. Oh, fuck. He was, he knew my family very well. So who, wait, who saw who first? I saw him. So I run into the dressing room and I talk to my house mom. I'm like, there's somebody that knows my parents out there. She goes, get dressed. You can go for the day. You don't have to give us a tip out or anything. Get dressed. We'll escort you out the back door and you can go home. Wow. For, you know, privacy reasons. That was a good spot. No, they were. Are you sure? Are you sure you didn't get seen first? I am now, but at that time, because that okay. had happened like a two days before, I kicked him out, and then she says, "I know you're a stripper." Yeah, yeah. And I said, "What?" She's, "I know," and I'm like, "Was it this person?" She goes, "What?" Yeah. What the? <laughs> no. <laughs> I like that. Um. And I didn't know how she knew until yeah. years later when we talked about it. And she told me, she's like, I've not been able to face that family ever since because yeah. they knew what I was doing. But so a few months after this, when everything had cleared up and I was dancing three days a week, regularly day shift, um, I saw him in the club and I was still under the impression he's the one who told my mom. And I see him and I walk up to him I'm like, hi, how are you? He's like, oh, shit. Oh, you work here? I was like. Yeah. yeah, and I you tell told him, my family, dude. Yeah, yeah, I tell him the story. He's like, "No, that wasn't me. I'm not like a strip club, strip club patron like that. I'm really good friends with most of the staff here. I walked the nighttime house mom down the aisle for her wedding. Like they're family friends of ours." Oh wow. He's like, "I would never, even There's if a I plot had twist." Yeah, he's like, "Even if I had seen you that day, I would have never said anything." Like. I would have never told your family. I respect your privacy and things like that. He's like, I can't be affiliated with these strip club employees and disrespect their workers like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So he's sitting at the show bar, which is the bar that you can dance on with like a railing to grab like above your head and stuff. He was sitting there and I I just continued on working my shift and I get called to show bar. I get on the show bar. He sees me. And he hands me $5, <laughs> which is take your top off. Oh, shit. I've known this man since I was like five. Uh, I'm 18 also. Oh, that's fucking weird. Yeah. I was like, this just got extra weird because I thought you saw me, thought you told my mom. Turns out you didn't. And now you want me to show you my tits. <laughs> but then he was like, then he was like, no, I'm a good guy. I'm just here to hang out and eat the steak or I love their <laughs> French fries or they have really good... Like he's then he's just like fucking playing it off, but then yeah. he's like, "Well, here's five bucks." Yeah, no, you learn in sex work that majority of the men that you think you know and are normal yeah. people are actually everybody's a weirdo. Everyone's you know, fucking weird. Everybody, everyone's weird. You know, I don't know anybody who's just totally vanilla lives by the way that maybe the their god would want them to live and things like that. Everybody's got got skeletons in the closet and things like that, and everybody's got weird shit and. Well, and it's also like what we associate as weird. Like there's certain things that for whatever reason we associate as weird and other things which are the same that, oh, that's normal. Like, I mean, there's a lot of bad habits people pick up. There's a lot of bad personality traits, a lot of bad behaviors people do. Mm -hmm. But because they're not maybe in like a substance category or a sex category, it's just like, oh, that's just how yeah. they are. Well, that's, that's really why sex work is such a, a massive industry the way that it is, is because 
people can feel free to like indulge in the things that other may others may perceive as weird. Yeah. You know, they can go and like live their truth in the strip club a little bit. Um, Well, it's, it's, I mean, just as humans, it's one of the, it's a natural instinct. That's the derivative of it. Yeah. And it's all, it's a a secret need. It's dopamine, right? I mean, we get dopamine from exercise. We get, you know, dopamine from doing something well at work or eating something. There's all these little almost addictions, but Mm -hmm. they're also things instinctually we need. Um, And it's like that, that one's always really strange. Anything with sex work, because it is, it's, it's taboo. It's uh, secret. It's, we don't talk about it, but I mean, we can talk about, Oh, I ate three cakes last night. Like that's fucking weird, but nobody's going to be like, don't talk to me. You shouldn't. Yeah. Like I'm ashamed of you for eating three cakes. I mean, people can just eat three cakes and, for whatever reason. I just love the analogy that you're using right now. Yeah, can you imagine that? Just like sitting down and polishing off. I mean, there's a lot of things people do. Yeah. I don't know. And it's just that that world is always so shadowy. And yeah. I, I obviously don't think it should be out in the open. You know, it's not like a completely out in the open thing. But we always keep it, I don't know, very... Uh, shadowed and taboo and i don't know if that's just culture that it is but it's um i think it i think it leads to a lot of fucked up stuff because then people closet shit and bottle it up and then yeah and if you saw like working in that uh, clubs i mean you get to see the the release yeah like uh, you said people get to be themselves more and now now they're like making up for all that lost time, keeping their fucking weird in mm-hmm. and they just get a. Yeah. No, I had known of uh, one girl who got paid however much money to pee on a guy in VIP. Like, so it's no touching, but peeing. <laughs> yeah, no, that one doesn't cross the line. <laughs> apparently. Um, yeah. She'd like peed on a guy it's in a VIP, pee. but like, you know, a lot of these men that go in, there are married too. like, what are you going to, Ask your girlfriend to pee on you. No, she's going to tell her friends, you know, (laughs) or your Tinder date or your wife, you know, something like that. And uh, there's there's judgments in the real world. But in in sex work, it's you go with the flow with, you you know, there's still consent there. There's still, you know, what you are and are not comfortable with. But if somebody was like, here's fifteen hundred dollars. Can you piss on me? I'd be like, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to be nervous about it, it. But I mean, in that exchange. Everyone's getting what they want. Right. You know? Right. And nobody know, has to know about it. You know? Yeah. These guys go home and, and get dressed and take a shower and get in bed with their wives and then go to work the next day and take little Timmy to the baseball game. And, you know, they're normal people, but they go do weird shit in the strip club. <laughs> yeah. What is, uh, is there any other like weird, like, I guess I would say unconventional things that, customers or people would ask for maybe like a specific thing somebody had that they would always. Yeah. There was a guy I had never had the pleasure of crossing paths with him, but I, God, I wish I did. Cause he would come in every month, couple of months and spend easily at least $5,000 asking girls to eat or he'd like pick 
the hottest girl in there and be like, I'm going to order you food. You just keep eating. Every plate you eat, I will give you $200. What the fuck? So there was, I, I remember I talked to the girl who had done it, one of the girls who had done it, because we'd only see him every once in a while, and you'd be so lucky to sit with him. And she's like- So when this dude walked in, people are like- Yeah, go sit with him. Like, yeah. And you know, if the bartenders like you and they're looking out for you, because they're the ones that are there the most, they're like, that guy spends a lot of money, go over there, yeah. you know? Or like, yeah, but he wanted girls to eat. So he'd be like, I'm going to give you 200 bucks for every plate you eat. So this girl, she said she made so much money. She sat there for like six hours and ate the entire time. She'd get full, go to the bathroom, jam her fingers down her throat, throw up, Uh, come back, eat more. That's probably not good for you. Absolutely not. Uh, Model diet. Yeah, not good for anybody. But uh, she, she made a lot of money just... Eating. I don't even think he asked her to get naked. Did he? Any? Any wanted to like watch this the yep. whole time? That was just his thing. I don't even think he was going for like big girls. I who, guess there's worse things. I don't even think that he was like going for for girls who look like they like to eat either. I think he was going for skinny girls. Maybe it was like the opposite. Like I'm gonna corrupt you. Yeah, maybe like. <laughs> I'm thinking about it like from a psychological standpoint. Maybe he had like a fitness wife or something who hasn't eaten a carb in the last 15 years or something like that. <laughs> you know, when he's like. Just making up the backstory. Yeah. You eat this cheeseburger. I'm going to go home and touch myself thinking about it later. Like people are weird. You just, it's, I've got some pretty silly stories and it's, it's a full spectrum of things that I experienced in the, in the year they, that I was dancing. So you got the the pee guy, you got the food guy. What 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 else? I had a friend get paid once, like twenty five hundred dollars to shit on someone. Oh. that's on that's that's in the same realm as the pee. It's a I, little worse, but yeah, that's worse. Yeah, it's definitely worse. That one's actually really normal. The first time I'd ever heard about like that, like oh. kink, I was like sixteen, and I had a friend who's like, "It's my dream to have a ch- chunky girl shit on my chest." I was like, you are a strange critter. You're a strange strange critter. I thought it was, yeah. I don't, I heard about it on South Park. That's about my extent of knowledge. Did you watch South Park? South Park's a little too real for me. Like, like just the things that they reference, like things like that. Like, oh, that sounds so silly. But if you know, you know. (laughs) That's why they're like, they're very insightful. That's yeah. why I kind of love South Park. Like the first time I heard about that was like Cartman's mom was in a German Scheiser film. It's like shit, like Scheiser shit. Oh my God. But like, yeah, Ugh. that's a bad one. I don't like that one. I'm trying to think of the, the eating one. I'm like, eh, okay. That's one just- of my regulars, um, he was a little bit of an odd guy. Most of these men, the majority of the men that go into strip clubs, at least uh, regulars, just want somebody to talk to them. You know, a woman to pay them attention, a beautiful young girl to pay them attention and think they're funny and laugh at their jokes and hang out with them. You know, they don't get that in their normal life. I see. I I can understand that one a lot. And, and I've heard that. One of my regulars, though, he uh, I saw him about once a week and I'd go and dance for him for about three hours straight. And I wasn't even hardly dancing. It was, you know, $10 a song, fully nude, not touching anything. And we'd go for like three hours and I'd basically be just swaying back and forth and we would talk nothing but politics that Hmm. whole time. And I'd probably see him once a week and he loved me. 
that's a good one. And I'm not even, I mean, this is an acting job and it's a job where you kind of have to be able to converse with people about just about anything. Yeah. Obviously, some people have gray areas. Some people are really strong in those areas in conversation. Politics isn't my number one thing. I kind of just can um, reflect off other people what I think they want to hear. This is why you I was- You can hold a conversation. Yeah. That's why I was successful as a as a dancer without having to, you know- borderline prostitute myself or anything like a lot of do because I was interesting to talk to for a lot of these men. And yeah, I would just hear his opinions and kind of reflect them back to him. Even if I didn't agree with him, I would pretend to believe in something I did not. And he's like, I have this super hot naked chick in front of me talking to me about how I'm right. Agreeing with you. Yeah. There's a kink in that right there. That's the dream. That's the dream for just normal men. He was just a normal guy. Yeah. I would pay someone just to agree with me, just on anything. Just yes, men. Oh yeah, yeah. Just like it could be on the phone. I could be like, oh, I don't think The Rock is a good actor, and they'd be like, Fuck yeah, I get that. And Number like, one fan. Jimmy yeah. Fallon's overrated. And be like, oh, I, I was always thinking that. Like number one fan, but that's what you do when you're a yeah. convert when your strong suit in in sex work is conversations. You just are a yes man to people who. Well, nobody agrees with anyone with anything anymore. Like everyone's argumentative. Yeah, everybody has really strong opinions. Too strong of opinions. Too many opinions. Have less opinions. That's my. That's my fucking answer. Your presidential slogan. That's my like when. When when I hear like there's some problem, like some problem that's existed since the beginning of time, like I don't fucking know, like men leaving the toilet seat up or hair in the drain of the shower, just some problem that's existed forever, let's say politically. And someone's like, well, the way to fix this is we just need to have an open conversation. I'm like, y'all been doing this for fucking years and you haven't changed a fucking thing yet. Yeah. Like an open conversation. How about stop talking about it? Yeah. And you're most, talking about it too fucking much. Yeah. And most recently. There's a such thing. Where I've seen examples of that is uh, um, the things that are happening in the Middle East right now. Um, I'm seeing influencers being held accountable for not um, putting like their opinions something. out there. Yeah. They're not saying anything. And I'm like, this person who just makes silly videos on TikTok is not going to have... You should not a rely on political stance. These are problems that have existed for a very long time. Yeah. My opinion is not going to change anything. Talking about it doesn't do shit. No, it doesn't. No, I'm tired of that. That's like a modern thing. Like we can just talk about it. No, it just, it just fucking makes things worse. All right. So your presidential slogan can be have less opinions. Have, Mine can have be less fucking opinions. Stop talking. <laughs> Stop talking. You're the vice president. President. <laughs> Or vice versa. Yeah, sounds but good. One one on one. Yeah, I get it. Stop talking. Have less opinions. <laughs> just shut the fuck up and just chill. No, it's a quiet time. <laughs> it's quiet time, and then pay someone to agree with you. And you could just do that like once a week. That's like your kink. God. Like you just like pay someone to be like, oh, fucking ketchup doesn't belong on hot dogs. I'll be like, fuck yeah. I got you. I understand. Yeah. That, but I mean, the concept that you're talking about working in the club, that's very real because um, I, I think as adults and especially men is they don't, 
they may not have an outlet to where someone will talk to them or they can be themselves. You know, if they have a professional life and they're kind of keeping it straight and narrow or trying to put a, you know, a facade out or, you know, maybe their relationship isn't the best with their wife or kids or they don't have a lot of close friends like that connection. But also at the same time, it's kind of like, well, I'm paying you. It's not like a voluntary connection. Like, yeah. Okay. And I'm sure that's not always the case. But when you are talking to customers, I mean, you're, you're trying to get money. That That's your time. That's your money. You're there at work. Yeah. And you're not going to spend two hours just chatting with someone so for free. You can get sucked into that. It, I'm, every stripper's fallen victim to that um, at least once. But eventually you learn, you know, my time is money. If you just want to sit here and talk, I want to watch you put down a $100 bill every 20 minutes. Yeah. And I'll keep sitting here and talking to you, you know? Yeah. And I would have, I, I did have a regular that did that. He just wanted to talk. He didn't want, I think I did maybe a, a handful of dances for him in the few months that I knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, I know your time's valuable. $100 bill, crisp $100 bill every 20 minutes and just sit there and chat. And a, I was like, this crisp is still $100 a bill. crispy one. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, no, that was, I was living the life and I'm 19 at this time. I started when I was 18, turned 19 and like I'm making bank just being hot and dancing and talking and I'm doing it three days a week. I was probably racking in a minimum of $1,300 three days a week. This is also day shift, you know, it's more money at night Um, and from two to eight, at least 1300 upwards of $3,500, maybe more. Is that like, what was like your biggest day? 36, 37, I think. I'd gone into a VIP. This one girl who would work there for a long time, she she had a regular who would come, or sugar daddy regular, I don't know what he was. He was an older guy. Okay. And he... Um, she had told me, Hey, my, my guy's coming in today. He wants, he likes it when we bring a girl into the room to play with us. I was like, well, let's play. (laughs) Cause you know, this is again, strict, no touching, but he was a big spender. And when you're a big spender regular in the strip club, you kind of get the, the rules can be bent a little bit. You get checked on less, you know, that makes sense. foreman see something. No, he didn't because the foreman's getting tipped by these guys too. Yeah. You know? So play was like a, it's going to look like I'm going down on you, but I'm not. Or we'll we'll kiss a little bit. We're not going to like vigorously make out, but we'll kiss a little bit and we might kiss him a little bit and I'll kiss your breasts and, you know, and things like that. It was just little teasing things. And I went in there with her for four hours and it was 200, 250 for 30 minutes, 400 for an hour. So... And plus all the money I'd already made that day, plus whatever else he tipped on top of that because he'd say, I want to see this thing. And I'd say, oh, I don't do that. And he's like, slides a little more money. And I'm like, now I do that. Is there like a, is there a coyness to that? To where you're kind of like, oh, I don't do that. Yes. I've never touched a boob before. And they're like, I want to see that for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. there, there, There seems to be a little bit of that. And Absolutely. I can I can see that that mouse trap. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And you just have to have boundaries with yourself and lines that you won't cross. You know. Um. Most importantly, but there, uh, services can be bought. You know. Well, to like play more innocent to something. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or I don't know. I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, you know, and mm. just like, well, what if you just kiss her thigh? And I'm like, I don't know. Here's 250 bucks. Okay. Like thighs are weird. I've never seen a thigh before. Never seen a thigh. I'm allergic to thighs. Actually. I break out in highs. Yeah. Hives. Huh? Yeah. But, uh, well, it's a, and they probably know it too. I mean, yeah. they, they, they get the game. Yeah. But, uh, circling back. Yeah. That was probably my biggest day. I think I'd, I'd, had was doing good before I went into that room with them and ended up walking out of the club before, well, before tip out, it was 3,500, probably boiled down to like 28, 29. I'm 19. Yeah. This is cash too. This isn't on your next paycheck taxes deducted. No. Like what 19 year old do you know? You're going home with that. Yeah. Making that even in a month sometimes, you know, I was making that in a day. And it would happen. I'd have a big, big day like that probably once every three weeks. But on average, I was probably bringing home $500 a shift. Hmm. And all I had to do was go walk around in my underwear for a little bit, dance a little bit, you know. I do that for free. Right? All the time, every day. It's the price you pay for marriage. (laughs) Yeah. My, My wife, she doesn't pay me anything. Walk around in my underwear and dance all day. It's ridiculous. Um, so, um, did you ever have customers that, I mean, I'm sure you did, but I mean, just for like an example, I mean, there had to be guys that constantly tried to push or that just got fucking creepy with it, like. I have had a guy removed from the club once. I don't remember the exact details because this was years ago and it was just a blip, you know, but I've had a guy removed once. I've walked out of a VIP once because he kept trying to put his fingers places that they were not supposed to be. And, you know, I'll do like a two warning system like, hey, stop. No, I already told you that you're going to get us both in trouble. Floorman walks in and sees that whether or not you were about to tell him, no, you're you could lose your job. Yeah, I liked working there. You know, I wanted to keep my job. And uh Eventually, I'm like, we're done. And they pay up front, so you could walk out anytime if you're uncomfortable and keep their money. And then it's like, I, I mean, did you feel pretty safe the whole absolutely. time when you're working? I mean, I mean you got security dudes. And yeah, absolutely. If, uh, if that, And everyone's kind of looking out. Not all clubs are like this. I was very fortunate here to okay. have a team behind me that really had my best interest at heart, really respected me respected the establishment as a whole, you know, I represent the establishment, you know? So if if I go up to the floorman and say, this guy's really bothering me, this guy is belligerent, this guy is doing this, he can go give him a warning or just say, all right, man, grab your stuff, get out, you know? And then I guess on the same, on the same side, I mean, I'm just thinking of this, like, like a movie playing out like this little, show this razzle dazzle is there people that you could spot i mean you get to do it after a little while you'd like spot the suckers there like you're like oh yeah that that dude's gonna pay or or i mean because you say you can spot the guys that are maybe they're not gonna pay anything they're cheap can you spot the suckers you, it's easier to spot who's not going to pay. Okay. But so the, the way that it works, how you even 
approach most of these men because you can just walk around and go sit down with someone and talk. And if they're not wanting anything, leave after five minutes, you know. Okay. Um, but the way that you have the best etiquette and you make the most money is on your stage sets. You get called up on stage about once every 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how many girls are on, but typically in that range. And uh, whoever comes and tips you, you get off stage, put your clothes back on and you go thank them. Oh, you know, okay. it's, it's, you still have etiquette in there, you know, and yeah. men will complain. Like she was really rude. I tipped her 20 bucks on stage. She didn't even say thank you to me. Hmm. They get on the girls for that. They want these guys to come back. They want them to feel appreciated, you know? Um, well, and probably if they're spending money up there, they might get a VIP exactly. or a. So whoever spent the most money on me on stage, that's who I'd go and really try to chat it up with. If you came yeah. and gave me a crumpled up $1 bill, I'm, I'm probably, I'm going to go see thank you, but. That's all I got. But if you come up and hand me a 20. A crisp 20. A crisp 20. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll, I'll come sit down with you because those are the people, the more money you pay to the girls on stage, the more you can tell they have money to dispose of. Yeah. They like you. They love your look. They want to talk to you. And VIP is where your money's at, you know. Um, so is that the end goal? Get them into VIP. Okay. Yeah. And VIP is the exact same, in, in this club at least, exact same thing on the floor as it is in the private room. You're just not on the floor. Yeah. You can have more conversation because the music's a little quieter. Yeah. You're having your drinks brought to you by a waitress. Um, and you can just kind of have a more intimate moment, you know? Um, you can get away with a couple more things like in the room than you could on the floor. Like I would try not to get too close to the men on the floor, but in the VIP room, like one of my little tricks to get them to just jizz their pants a little bit was to get close to like their neck and you like softly breathe on their neck. That'll like, you know, stun them a little bit. And I can't do that on the floor. I can't get that close to you on the floor. No. Um, so you, and you just generally make more money back there. Like I said, stun them a little. Like you're stunning your prey. Like Give them the old razzle dazzle. Your foot starts twitching. So, um, you do this. I mean, you're doing this what two years total? Did you I do this? Did it for actually in total about a year and a half? Because I remember when we talked before the show, you had said like 2020 kind of COVID the kibosh on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really successful in it and doing really great. 19 made more money than I knew what to do with. I knew what to do with it, which was blow it. Um, By hookahs. No, I sold that sold almost it. immediately. Almost immediately. <laughs> I didn't use it. And it was nice. Like, I don't know. There's, I, I found a buyer for that one, but no, I was, uh, I was in the club. Like I was working and if I wasn't working, I was out partying my ass off. This was in a, a point in my life where I started experimenting and really getting into um, party drugs. Yeah. Um, was drinking a lot more. Um, one of the bigger downfalls of it, um, not that I was ever like really bad or anything. It was just more frequent than most people. Um, I was really teetering on uh, what some people would consider a problem, but I was one of those things I genuinely could quit anytime. And I did, you yeah. know, um, but uh, but then COVID kind of puts an abrupt stop. I mean, yeah, from the partying, the hanging out, and then I mean, did the club 
close or was well, it? everything closed. Yeah. The club was definitely, I mean, like bars, clubs, things like that were the first to go, you know, you could hardly even go to Walmart. We still don't have 24 hour Walmart back. You never know what you took that. for granted. No, we don't have 24 hour anything back. Occasionally you can find a McDonald's or like a Taco Bell, but Walmart, like I really took that one for granted. I would give anything to walk around Walmart at 3 a.m. again. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was great. But uh, yeah, the club shut down. And when that happened, like it was like, you know, the automatic payments out of my account, car insurance, whatever my account, I had just gotten back from a music festival. So I had no money. And then that week, everything shut down. I never went back to work after that festival. Jeez. Um, and, uh, and that was ended up with like negative ever... 600 something dollars in my bank account after previously being pretty well off. Jeez. Um, and you never, so you never danced again. I tried to, that? I tried to when the clubs opened back up. Um, but there were restrictions. We had to wear face masks. Um, people were broke. I mean, their businesses yeah. were failing and their houses were, you know, getting taken from them. People didn't have stripper money anymore. They could barely survive, you know? Yeah. Um, and then also who wants to go to a strip club to look at beautiful women, but half their face is blocked, you know? Yeah, that had to be awkward. And you have to stay six feet apart from everyone. Like, you can't even sit next to someone and just chat at the bar anymore. Like, they have to be four seats over now, you know? Oh, yeah. So, uh, it. I, I tried to go back when, when they opened back up, but the money was like, I was going to work and walking out. I walked out in the negatives went for the first time. I paid to go dance on men. Like, I ended up walking out with, like, $20 less than I walked in with. Oh, jeez. Um. And I was like, I'm getting naked, showing people every part of me for a hundred bucks. I could go be a waitress again and make the same, if not more. And I don't have to get naked and I don't have to, you know, be sexually harassed, not harassed, but yeah, all day. Yeah. So, I mean, are you, so you haven't done it since. No, I have. Um, I tried to get back into it um, earlier this year. Okay. Or 2023, um, because I was really hurting for money. But uh, it put a strain on my relationship. I got into my relationship after COVID started, and he was kind of like, you know, I really see this getting very serious, but it won't if that's what you do for work. And that was between the money and in that. In a healthy though. way. Yeah. Yeah. Between the money. I mean, being a healthy relationship that can be like, okay, you know, like not really my thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't like a means of control. Like, like a it, boundary. Yeah. Like I, I can't do that. Yeah. Like we were very happy together. We were having a yeah. great time, but he's like, I won't consider things like a serious future with somebody who gets naked for other men all the time, you yeah. know, which some men are cool with that. Mine's not. It's a healthy boundary. I feel like it's fair. Yeah. yeah. So between my relationship being fantastic and wanting that to succeed. So you're in a good relationship. Oh, now. amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, we've been together for almost four years now. Um, it's been just absolutely incredible. I'm very, very fortunate. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the money wasn't the same. And I had this really great thing finally going for me that was healthy and normal. 
And I was like, I'm going to pursue that instead. You know, I'm not going to keep trying to hash out the stripping thing. It's not the same. Like, I'll go get a real job, make the same, if not more money, and be happy with this person. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that I did. Um, and I realized being in that relationship, how much stripping had changed my brain. Okay. That is like a really big thing that I had seen firsthand, um, while working in the clubs, how it affects these women and their perception on themselves, their perception on men, relationships, sex, money, things like that. Like it really turns you into a different person. And I'm really glad that I didn't get as bad as I've seen it get. You didn't get like jaded with it. Right. Like it was just money to me. It was a job. I looked at it as a job. It didn't become me. It didn't become my lifestyle. Like it was my fun little thing to tell people at parties and stuff like, Oh yeah, I'm a stripper. But that was, that was it. I wasn't talking to men outside the club. I didn't give anyone my number. I didn't have sugar daddies. Um, I did not see how that, that fucks up your view of men or relationships in general. That can, yeah, there had been a, that would wear on you after a while. Well, there had been a girl that I'd befriended, um, who I worked at the club with and she'd been dancing about a year longer than me. And I remember when I first talked to her, she's like, I started dancing a year ago and I'm doing great. Like I just started doing this and was like, how are these girls not successful in this industry? This is just common sense, you know, go chase the money, go where the money goes. And she was a notorious sugar baby. She had gotten into the sugar baby thing because of the strip club and in developing our friendship at some point, she had even confided in me and told me I can't have sex for pleasure anymore. She's like, every time I go to have sex with someone, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I could be doing this for some money. Yeah. You know? And she, the the thing was, that was interesting was she carried herself like she was hot shit. She was beautiful, gorgeous girl, nice body, like was making money, putting herself through school with it, own apartment, 21 years old, I think. And... It eventually, again, turned into she can't have sex for pleasure. Very self-obsessed because her looks were her entire income. Yeah. Her body, what she could do, entire income. And she had gotten to a point where she told me that, like... It's not sustainable. Yeah. Well, she carried herself like she was better than everyone. And everyone was below her and whatever. But then she'd get drunk and tell me that she wakes up in the middle of the night screaming. And sweating and has recurring nightmares at least like almost every night. So and, all that glitters isn't gold, right? Yeah. And she never said that it was nightmares about what she did for work or anything like that. It was just nightmares. And I'm like, well, look at how you live. Yeah. You know? And it's, but social media is a fickle little thing too, because you look at her social media and you're like, wow, she travels to all these countries. She got her body done. She got this done she drives this nice car now and still carries herself like she's better than everyone but i know that she wakes up in the middle of the night screaming yeah oh, you know? you're getting everyone's highlight reel yeah on their social media that's like their commercial yeah you know so at the end of that having experienced that and having gone through it is it something that i mean would you you wouldn't recommend maybe necessarily, but you don't, maybe 
don't regret it, but you wouldn't do it again. Glad you're not doing it anymore. I try not to regret anything in my life. Okay. I have a very, very short list of genuine regrets. You know, there's a list of what ifs and scenarios, but uh, yeah. I, I think that I learned a lot at a very young age. Um, again, graduated high school and got out and have been pretty successful in being out led me to a lot of great things like my relationship. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot. Like, no, I didn't go to college, but at that age, and I still sort of believe this, I was leaps and bounds ahead of my peers, like mentally, because I knew what the real world looked like. I knew people yeah. well. I knew how to network myself. I knew, you know, real life skills and and lessons that you don't get sheltering yourself from experiences like that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to be said about that. Um, that being said, recommending it to other people, I would recommend it very few people. Yeah. Like I've recommended it to my friends who get online and look for sugar daddies and things like that. I'm like, girl, just go to the club. You don't have to do this. You know, you don't have to sleep with these old guys. Just go get on stage and you'll get just as much money and they don't have to touch you. Yeah. You know, um, I, I recommend it to people who are pretty much already in the realm of sex work, you know, okay. even with the OnlyFans thing, like, um, I recommend that over the OnlyFans. OnlyFans, everybody knows that you do that. Yeah. Your family knows this is totally anonymous, pretty much. Yeah. You know? Hmm. So, I mean, what would you say is the, uh, I don't know, kind of number one thing you learn? Like, what are your, what are your, what's your like final thought on like, I guess, working in a club like that or doing that or the. On the brighter side, I learned a lot about how time is money. You are valuable. Um, if you think that you are not, you are, you know, mm -hmm. um, if you don't think that you're beautiful, you are, I've seen like, like I've talked to so many girls. Oh, I wish I could do that, but I'm don't have the body for it. I don't have the face for it. I'm like, I've seen girls half of what you are Yeah, be great at it. You know, it really was a, an extreme self-esteem boost. It really taught me a lot about what I deserve. Well, I think that goes back to what you said in the beginning like it was diverse and um you know there's a there's a flavor for everybody and i think that's that's interesting like you you're you're not somebody's but you're somebody's you're yeah. not everybody's but you're this you know and that's I, I think that's that's something i could see being uh valuable in learning through that experience yeah yeah for sure and then on the on the darker side of what I had uh, experienced, I had definitely, and this is one of the little regret things, um, doing this does, again, warp your brain. Um, I matured very quickly. Like, by the time I was 21, I wasn't acting a fool anymore because I'd spent plenty of time doing that already. Yeah. Um, even before I turned 20. I was pretty much chilled out. Yeah. Um, I forget where I was going with this. I'm so sorry. On the dark side, like learning your experience. 
oh, I, um, my behavior, um, you know, the behavior of that in the club is very different than how most women act in public. But when that becomes your job and becomes what you deem as what people want Mm -hmm. to see and want to see you act, you go out in public and you kind of act differently than you probably should. Um, And it took me some time to stop acting like that, you know, and start acting like a normal person. Like what's a, just an example. I would go to parties and like get practically naked and like dance. Cause I thought that's like, I'm super drunk also and probably doing a little bit of extra, you know, so I'm not in the right headspace, but you know, I've just let way too loose yeah. because it had warped my perception of, uh, normal, normal. Yeah. I'm like, this is what the people give the people what they want, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's how I worked, you know? So yeah. I'd go out in public, get messed up and, you know, I was sober in the club. I was under 21. They don't, a respectable establishment won't let people under 21 drink at their bar, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, it definitely, impacted me in a negative way. And that was my reputation and, and things like that. Um, also just, just the general embarrassment, you know, how I acted. Um, my family knows, you know, I still have a family member, um, hold it against me, even though it's been a couple of years and I've totally made a 180 on my life and not been that person for a very long time. Yeah. He, uh, is my brother. He still doesn't like he's, he's cool with me, but it's, it's, he's always going to hold it over my head forever. My parents have let it go. They don't talk about it. Um, they don't bring it up. They, you know, parents love is supposed to be unconditional. My brother's kind of an asshole though. And well, it's tough. You yeah. Know, it's a, it was embarrassing for him. It's an immature feeling, but yeah, it was embarrassing for him. You know, there's a, I, I, you, again, you get, you get fucked with as a guy like, Oh, it's your sister. Yeah. Oh no, when COVID started, I tried to do, you know, some work online and that led to his friends knowing. Yeah. And that's really what it, what it, what it was, but because he's like, I know that my best friend since my freshman year of high school has tried to pay you for photos of you. Yeah. It's embarrassing, you know, from my sibling standpoint. Yeah. Um, Well, that's like a guy thing. Like the... The, the funny guy thing, like the little inside guy joke, is you don't even let your guy friends know you have a sister unless you have to. Because as soon as they find out you do, they're like, is she hot? Yeah. Like, and it doesn't even matter. They're just going to fuck with you. It's like a fucking list thing. So with age and maturity, that that does seem to go away. <laughs> that's my advice. That's That's my experience. I hope so. He's a pretty stubborn person, but it, uh, again, it's been years and he's still, it's, it's gotten kind of better, but he's always going to be like that. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for coming on and sharing everything. I mean, that was, it was enlightening. It was interesting. Um, you're a good storyteller. So I, I appreciate that. Hope you had some fun talking about it. And Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay out of trouble. We'll see you in church.